join me in prayer. God, we come before you again this morning and there is a lot of uncertainty in the world and there's trouble in many places. And we, we ask for you to speak to us in this time of what we're to be about, what matters to you, that you'd be giving us the incredible generosity that is your heart to reach out to those around us. We know, God, that you have a story in this. And we, most of us, have no idea what it is. But we know that you're good. And we know that you're on the move. And we know that you have things for us to do. So we pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would move our hearts, that you would speak to us, God. We thank you um, for this time, in Jesus' name. Morning, Blue Water. Uh, we are going to continue our worship with our offering. 
And you can give in two ways, online or via check. Just send the check in to the office. If you're new or visiting this morning, please feel no obligation to give, but consider this worship service our offering to you. Uh, we would love, if you haven't signed up yet, for our weekly newsletter to do that. Uh, in order to do that, just go to our website, bluewatermission.org, scroll to the bottom, and enter your name and email address. Uh, for those regular attenders, just wanted to ask you to keep praying for the property. You never know. Um, and for, for everybody who was with us last week, we asked you to send in a photo that somehow typified your quarantine experience. Thanks for sending that in. It's so good to connect. Uh, you are seeing some of those uh, now and throughout the service. Um, we, would, we are going to send out little uh, activities like this in the future, uh, so keep attuned. Uh, we'll use it to continue to build community. Nice work. <laughs> you were locked into that camera, bro. <laughs> I saw those eyes. Uh, thank you. Hey, is this yeah, a sermon you downloaded from... From churchsermons.com? Is this the same one, but you added some stuff? Sermon, sermons.com. Sermons.com? Yeah. Is it a subscription or? No, you pay, pay per sermon. Wow. I pay, the, I pay the premium rate. Exciting. This, could, this is going to be a good this, one. So this could be a good one. I haven't read it yet, but. <laughs> so Father God, we pray that you would guide us forward uh, into this season of fruitfulness. Uh, we pray, Lord, uh, for your voice to reach uh, everyone who is listening today, uh, that you would speak to them through the message of this service, but that you would also speak to them your message from your heart. I pray, Lord, that you would help all of us uh, to figure out uh, what's going on and what you have for us to do. In Christ's name, everybody says. Amen. How you guys doing? Good. So far, so good. You, uh, you all seem great. I'm filled with confidence. Uh, what's the story? Is my question uh, today. What, what's, what's the story? Uh, usually, uh, we've been doing these uh, virus updates. At the beginning of our sermons, I was thinking a lot this week about, well, what's, what's the story with this virus? What I mean is, what's the, most what's the most important story having to do with the virus that we should be telling right now? And uh, I partake of the media about the virus uh, every day, like many of you probably do. And it's clear to me that the media, at least the American media, think that the story having to do with the virus that's worth telling is the story about the politics of our virus response. I mean, like, I don't know, 80% of media stories are about the politics of the response and who's right and who's wrong and who's being stupid and who's not. And, and uh, you could tell a different story. For, for instance, you could tell the story of the substance of the virus response, which I think would probably be a better story to tell. Uh, and in that light, here are some things that we learned this week uh, about the virus. It seems that uh, we have successfully flattened the curve. Do you remember that phrase? We flattened the curve. And the whole idea was to sort of slow down the spread of the virus so that it didn't peak so high, that the infections were spread out so that we didn't overwhelm our medical care system. And it seems like we've done that quite successfully in our country. Yay. Uh, praise God for that. Uh, our hospitals, in fact, were never overrun, although many healthcare workers were working sacrificially hard. Um, we weren't overrun. Uh, even in New York, we never ran out of ventilators and stuff like that, as people feared. Uh, and so that, as far as it goes, is, is really good news. And most places in America, it seems that we didn't really even make a dent in our local medical resources, which is is good news uh, as far as it goes. And as a result, states and municipalities are starting to talk about opening up, like shaking off the quarantine, the shutdown, the shelter and home orders. And that, of course, has trickled into the news this week. Um, 
The models now predict somewhere around 60 or 65,000 virus deaths will happen in America. We're around 50,000 right now. Uh, and 65,000 deaths is a lot of deaths, but it's way fewer than the 240,000 deaths that the, the same models were predicting not so very long ago. Um, and uh, the amount of deaths that we are likely to see from the coronavirus um, uh, this year anyway is in keeping with a flu season in America online. Every year in America we lose between 25,000 and 75,000 people to the flu and it looks like our death rate from the coronavirus is going to be similar. It's going to be in line with the um, H1N1 flu that we had a couple of years ago. You guys remember that? Yeah. Um, maybe even fewer deaths than we saw from H1N1. All deaths are unfortunate, but as far as that goes, that's probably good news. Half the deaths in America were in one place, New York, uh, which is both sad and, and interesting. Uh, the remarkable thing was that the, uh, the spread of the virus and the casualty rates were not um, by no means uniform. Uh, not widespread uh, as one would have thought and one feared. Uh, we've got a lot of antibody testing happening in America right now which shows not who is infected with the virus but who was infected with the virus and as some scientists expected it turns out that there are way more infections than were being tracked uh, in America um, because we weren't doing widespread testing and people who were not too sick, we're, we're told to stay away from testing centers actually in order to control the spread of what they had. But it turns out that the rate of infection in America might have been somewhere between 50 and 80 times what we thought, which is in one sense troubling news, but in one sense very, very good news because it means that deaths per infections are much lower than we thought. The WHO has said that the death rate of the virus is 3 to 4 percent. It turns out the death rate of the virus is probably well under 1 percent, maybe half a percent or something like that. Uh, there's been a lot of debate about how this virus responds to temperatures and sunshine and stuff like that. Even the past week there were studies arguing at odds with their conclusions. Uh, but the most uh, responsible and intensive study seems to show that sunshine, warmth, and humidity all operate to retard or to kill the virus, which is very good news as warm weather approaches for most of the northern hemisphere now. And that helps explain why Hawaii has done so well, because the virus can't survive in temperatures above 72 degrees with humidity above 20%, nor can it survive in sunlight. And we've got all of that all the time. So, yay, Hawaii. Um, we love uh, the weather for numerous reasons. Um, all of that stuff, I think, on balance is kind of good news. Um, and so you're starting to hear people ask, well, was our nationwide, worldwide shutdown, our economic shutdown, our quarantine, was that the right response? Or did we maybe overdo it a little bit? Were we maybe a little too clumsy in the way that we tried to shut down and shut down the virus? And the right answer is probably, well, in some places, the massive shutdown quarantine was, was perfect. And in some places, probably we could have gotten away with a far more nuanced solution than, than we did. Uh, in very dense urban environments, maybe with cold weather, an aggressive quarantine type, type strategy is really important. Uh, in other places uh, that don't share those conditions, maybe we could have just gone with, you know, hey, social distance, stay away from uh, each other, wash your hands obsessively, maybe wear a mask. Um, maybe we could have left some businesses open but changed the retail strategy, made people fit, sit farther apart in restaurants or stay farther apart in retail stores and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> maybe we should have just concentrated on really quarantining and secluding very elderly people or, or sick people. It turns out, and this is rather sad, that about 25% of the deaths in New York 
come from nursing homes or elder care situations, elder care facilities. At a certain point in their quarantine, they were sending elderly people to nursing homes for medical care, but those places just kind of became factories of contagion and said like 25% of their death rate are people in elder care. Um, that's a population that always needs to be um, buffered and protected. And we need to think about all of these things going into the future because probably what we're going to see is an opening, but with that sort of nuanced approach, right? We can't shut down forever, but we do want to continue to do some important things. That's probably advisable. But one thing this massive shutdown did for sure was that it pretty much has ruined the world economy and it's created economic repercussions, economic disasters that we haven't even begun to explore yet. And I think that might become the big story of the virus now. Uh, and this is scaring me and making me a little sad. We have surely saved tens of thousands of people with our aggressive shutdown response, but in fact, we might have killed millions of people. And this is enormously sobering, I think. The UN announced this week that it thinks the number of severely hungry people in the world has doubled over the last eight weeks or so of global shutdown, and that's just the beginning. The unemployment rate, even in rich countries, is likely to be well over 25%, which um, is important because unemployment rates connect to mortality rates. In this country, Every 1% of unemployment uptick we get causes somewhere between 1,500 and 40,000 deaths, depending on who you listen to. The number is likely more like 1,500. Um, so in Hawaii, we've gone from 3 or 4% employment to something like 30 to 37% unemployment. Uh, and that's going to result in a lot of deaths. And that's true throughout. America, but America is wealthy and robust, consider what that's going to do in poor countries, countries that are already living along the subsistence line, the increased poverty, the economic fallout from what we have done to protect ourselves from the virus is going to kill hundreds of thousands of people uh, living in vulnerable poor situations around the globe. Um, as for uh, Hawaii, generally our numbers have been encouraging uh, with respect to direct effects from the virus, though you might not get that from the news. We've had about, right now, about 600 cases of, uh, 600 known cases of infection in the island. The large majority of those are travel related. We've only had like two, somewhere between two and 300 cases of, of community infection, local infection. And as of the last time I checked, um, 14 deaths. I think it is. 14 deaths is bad, but far, far, far fewer deaths than was predicted. So it's good news in that sense. The mayor has extended, our mayor has extended the shelter at home order for another month, which might be uh, extreme, but obviously he's trying to be very safe. Uh, and though as of today, he's done things like open the city parks back up. So exercisers don't have to crowd into the sidewalk space, which is probably helpful and smart, I should think. Uh, but we will be struggling again with like one out of every three local people unemployed uh, going forward. And there is a great ache, a great problem, and a great calling in that respect. Um, it has occurred to me as I've meditated on all that stuff this week that in life, the most cautious approach can often kill as effectively as the most reckless approach. You know, sometimes we do things to stay safe that in the long run create all sorts of dangers. And as a, as a globe, we just did about the most conservative, radically cautious thing that we could do in response to the virus. That is like we shut down as best we could. We really closed off. And, and the biggest media complaint seems to be that we just didn't do it fast enough. Um, and, and I'm not so sure about that. I think ultimately the real story is going to be more complicated and nuanced than that. But we do have to figure out a way to live with what has happened, and we do need to figure out a way to live with what we've done, and we do need to figure out a way 
to help the most vulnerable people around the world who now have to live with the repercussions of what the world did to protect itself from the virus, live with the repercussions of our great economic shutdown. So what's the story? What's the real story? What's going to be the real story is what, of what has happened in this crazy season? Did we minimize a disaster or did we create an even bigger disaster by trying to minimize? Or did we do some of both? And, and do we know what we're doing? Uh, do we know what has happened? Uh, we're going to have to wait to figure it out as we go. And that's the chaotic situation that we find ourselves in. So our warm-up question for the sermon today might be something like this. What's your story? What's your story right now? What's the biggest story in your life right now? I'll give you a moment to think about it. There are lots of stories in your life right now. We're sharing one big common story right now. But what's the biggest story in your life right now? How am I a bearer of the kingdom in as expansive a way as I can be? How are you a bearer of the kingdom in as expansive a way as can be right now? Right? If that's not the most important story going on in your life right now, it is definitely the most important question of your life right now, right? It's like, you know, am I doing the kingdom as well as I can in a time where the world needs the kingdom? I think that's a, that's a great answer. That almost certainly has to be a good one. What I'm thinking about myself is I'm not, I'm not sure I know what the biggest story going down in my life right now is. I'm not sure that my answer would be the same as God's answer. Have you ever had that feeling? It's like, what I'm worried about in my life right now might not be what God is thinking most about in my life right now. And I have to figure it out. You know, and Jesus occasionally spoke to his disciples about this. He spoke to them about the importance of recognizing what he called the signs of the times. You guys have heard that phrase? It used to be really popular in the 1970s. Uh, recognizing the signs of the times. He talked to his disciples about how important it is to kind of look and to understand what's happening around you so that you can make adjustments to your own life strategies and ministry strategies. He said that we should be good spiritual weathermen. He said that we should be like farmers who can look at the evening sky and read it and know what the weather is going to be tomorrow. Because, of course, for farmers, the weather is everything. And they need to be able to predict what the climate is in order to adjust their own work strategies. You need the ability to speculate confidently about what's going down and about what's coming. Accordingly, I love the historical accounts of the early church that we get in the Bible. I really love the book of Acts especially much because it just tells us story after story of how the early Christians and the early ministry leaders tried to figure out what was going on in their world and tried to figure out what God was doing in their present tense in the midst of, of their seasons of chaos and their confusions, their deep regret uh, on occasion, their wild speculations. The first disciples had to figure out how to carry the kingdom forward to all the world. And a great question for Christians to ask themselves all the time is, man, how do we figure this out? Exactly how do we figure out what's going on and what we should do about it? So, yeah. What are you thinking? Do we decide? I think I want to do a sermon series on uh, well, out of the book of Acts, um, the basic idea is that, well, the kingdom of heaven is happening right now, and we need to figure out how to do the kingdom in real time. So, like, we're not in a waiting period. We're actually in a doing and building period. And um, the world doesn't understand that, right? The world is, when the world is hunkered down, the kingdom is advancing. So that's kind of the idea that we want to get across. I know some... Ohana groups have gone through Acts recently, but it just um, just strikes me as a really good living text for the period that we're in.
currently um, because of the arc of the story of the book of Acts. Um, the book of Acts is kind of like the church figuring out in real time what the situation is, right, and, and how to go about doing things um, in, in, the, in the moment. Like they're disoriented. Leaders of the church are disoriented almost the entirety of the book of Acts, right? So the book opens. Jesus has just, has just died. And then he come back, but then he leaves to heaven, right? And, and the church leaders are just like totally confused, but Jesus says, you know, wait for the Holy Spirit and then evangelize the world. That's pretty much all they know. Uh, and then they get rooted in Jerusalem. They're building a church there, and then the persecution comes. So that's like disaster number two, right? The whole world is upside down, and they have to flee. Their whole life uh, is disrupted, but that's how the church multiplies. And then the last half of the book of Acts is basically falling around the apostle Paul and he goes from city to city, and, and almost everywhere he goes, there's conflict. He's beaten uh, almost to death. He's thrown into prison uh, a number of times. He's shipwrecked. So if you fall in uh, to the story at any particular time, it looks like Paul is utterly defeated. Like, he's in prison. He's shipwrecked. He's impoverished. He's, he's challenged by the rulers. He's betrayed by his friends. But if you look at it from a historical perspective, what's happening is that the church is, is multiplying, right? So in real time, it looked like he was a total failure, but in historical time, he's the greatest church planner that's ever lived. And it's just sort of the nature of the kingdom that I think we need to express, we need to make clear to everyone uh, who's involved with Blue Water is that it's in times of disaster that the kingdom often grows most. Amen. Uh, so that's why Acts. Do you think that's happening now? I think it's happening now. I, I, my guess would be that just like it was for the Christians during the time of the book of Acts, that the kingdom is multiplying in ways that we're not even keeping track of. Right? It's just it's really hard to get the data in real time. Whether that data is about a virus or whether that data is about the gospel, it's really hard to know. So you just try to keep doing the right things and trust that in the lens of history, uh, a great story is going to emerge. So if you drop in on the story of Paul in the book of Acts, it's really hard to tell in the moment whether he's succeeding or failing. But from the lens of history, it's obvious that he was the greatest church planner of all time. Was he really the greatest church planner of all time? Have you heard of uh, Rick Warren? Yes. Yeah. I, I didn't go to seminary, but I'm pretty sure that the Apostle Paul had a greater global impact than even Rick Warren. <laughs> I think I saw 139, like that thing that you were, was on your heart, like, you know, wherever I go, you'll find me. Wherever I I feel like people need to find an authentic voice, an authentic way to share the message of faith versus fear right now. You know, what, what are the best ways to do that? It's really hard to know what methods are going to work, particularly during times of great uncertainty, right? So what ends up winning the day for the early Christians is their attitude. They're just kind of open to the Holy Spirit, bursting into the story and doing something right there. And then the guys are just, um, they're, they're so open, right? They have so much faith that they, they grab hold of what the Holy Spirit's doing in the moment. So sometimes that's going to be baptizing people in an inflatable pool, right? Other times it's going to be uh, praying for your neighbor over your garbage can. <laughs> um, but you just have to have the right attitude if you're going to recognize those things when they pop up in front of you. And then, so you think it's, it's going to happen more like organically, person by person, yeah, I think it's going to be organic. I mean, I mean, for 2,000 years, the church has mostly been organic, so. That's a season. You've got me in your hands. And the darkness falls.
guiding first. Guiding first. Guiding, providing. So we got create. We got raising, raising creating, creating, amazing, amazing watching over me, guiding, guiding providing, shining. Now I see that you never, never let me go, go because I'm always slow. Never let me go. It's so bad. It's it's good. It's so bad. It's gonna work. <laughs> so so my question to you is what. What questions do we want the Ohana group people discussing after um, after the Sunday sermon? Like, what are the most live things that people need to be discussing and thinking about and helping each other with? Relating to evangelism, relating to sharing the gospel? Relating to this idea that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's now. It's upon us. And we need to figure it out and do it in real time. And particularly during seasons of uncertainty and chaos, which is the season that we're in right now, so given that context, that sort of season, what is it that would be best for our people to be thinking about? Well, I was thinking as they're, as they're kind of this is new, well, what are they, you know, what are their essential beliefs? What do they have to, you know, what is Christianity to them as they're making their way from Jesus forward? So what are the what are the essential beliefs, the anchor points that they need to be really, really clear on right now? Right. All right. We have a living God that we can have a relationship with and that we can invite into our hearts and he's promised to transform our lives as we embrace him, as we follow him. He Jesus calls us to follow him. And I think that's probably the most amazing thing about Christianity is that uh, we can have that personal relationship with Jesus. God amazingly has desired us to know him personally. He wants to be personal and has revealed himself through Jesus, through the life of Jesus. Many other religions focus on what we're, we're supposed to give to whatever the deity is of that religion. Um, it's exclusively our behavior, our sacrifice, our you know, whatever we give up. Mm -hmm. um, as far as I know, Christianity is the only one where it's kind of more about what our deity, what God gave up for us. What God wants to do in the world, he won't be able to accomplish unless the church does it because we're his hands and feet. And he won't, he's enabling us, his church. Like God put faith in the church to get his work done on What else? I think, that, I think that's a good one. Um, kind of like what's the essentials, basically. Because we as uh, church people or, you know, Christians, in my opinion, um, I've, I've experienced where we kind of like over-prepare and then something happens. And then it's like, well, what do you do? What do you do now? Well, then you, you rally around the most basic stuff or the essential stuff. What's the nuggets? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And in these times, I think it, you notice how some people, like how you said, they're freaking out in, you know, some people are freaking out, other people are at peace. And so I think those beliefs are the, the differing point. There are shining moments here. So what are they? The whole book of Acts is about like sharing faith, right? Expanding the right. kingdom. Then it begs the question of like, how do I do that personally? And it forces you to say, what are my essential beliefs? Because I got to share those with people. So how do I craft my message? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so you're, in, you're in touch with your essential beliefs. You're listening to the Holy Spirit. You're in, you're, you've got your anchor beliefs. You know, you know what it is that your life is built upon. And then what do you personally do about it? You know, what, right now, what, what should you personally be engaged with? I'm just thinking of times when we, when I meet someone who's not a Christian, but they're a little interested in what it means to be a Christian, what Christianity is about, mm -hmm. what do I say to that person? Because there's so many things you can say. Right. And how does it come across to, to someone who doesn't know that stuff? Like what, what, what would grab their attention the most, I guess? And uh, I think relationship is a big one. Um. Yeah, without love, our, whatever we say means nothing. So. Like maybe we need to do more through our actions and less speaking, less words. But I think the key thing is to really just invite him into everything and be in touch with him. 
and be um, tuned in with um, his spirit and listen to what he tells us to do and then make space for it and be available for the opportunities that come out of that. You know, like what's the Holy Spirit leading us to do? And if you could say that profound thing you said. Afterlife, you know, you're 30 and the next, you know, one day you turn around, you're 60, right? And where did the time go? So what happens after you die? What happens? And and then to perhaps sometimes talk about the promises that we have, the eternal life that we have. That he's super close. He's super, um, super peaceful, super loving, super gracious. Um, And just like how hopeful that is to not be alone in, in the midst of of all those different seasons that we walk through with him, that he's better and he's closer than we could ever imagine. Um, and that's never going to change. That's never going to, there's nothing I can do to mess that up. Uh, there's tons of ways that we can screw up, but there's, there's nothing, there's nothing we can do to push him away. And, when I really like remember that in in the hard stuff especially, it's just like everything's gonna be okay. <laughs> Jesus's uh, thesis statement for his own ministry was of course, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Whatever is happening is happening right now. It's at hand, you can grab it, you can take hold of it. So even though we might be uncertain about everything that's going on right now, we need to be certain about enough that we can act uh, in the present. Uh, we need to answer some fundamental questions and to keep them in the forefront of our mind. What are our essential beliefs? What are the things that we can really hold on to, even during the, even during the stormiest times? What is the essential message that we have to share with people that needs to be clear for everyone or we might fail to be responsive when the waves start crashing. And then finally, in what ways can we share that message now? What new packaging do we have to give the old truth of the kingdom of God? Perhaps you know uh, the story of how the book of Acts begins. The Holy Spirit falls on the disciples as they were praying together in a long prayer meeting. And uh, such power comes that it kind of pours out into the streets. The disciples go outside and Peter stands up and he preaches a street sermon. It's actually the first sermon in the history of the church. It ends up with 3,000 people coming to faith. So, you know, it's like beginner's luck. It was a good first outing. Uh, for Peter. But we're picking up that story at the very end of Peter's street sermon. After all of this power has been put on display, Peter has captured a crowd. He has explained to them um, what they're seeing with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He has explained to them as best he can in short form about the life and the purpose of Jesus as Jesus walked the earth. And then beginning in verse 36, he sums up. He says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, ouch, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? We blew it. We might have made a big mistake here. What do we do now? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. 
those who accepted his message and were baptized were about 3,000 people on that day. Uh, I like that little passage. They say, well, what should we do? Peter says, well, you screwed up Bill big time. God sent the Messiah uh, and you killed him. What, what must we do, brothers? What, what, what must we do? Uh, and, and what's the solution here is basically what they're saying. Uh, and, and Peter gives them off the top of his head, apparently, a nice little formula. He says, well, number one, repent. Change your thinking. It's like, man, you just got to change the way you think about this whole thing. Your attitude has to shift. And then he says, we have to make a firm decision. He said, repent and be baptized. And baptism, you know, is a ritual ceremony. You get dunked in water. It's a public declaration. You're saying, I'm in. I'm starting over anew with God. So change your thinking and make an active decision. Make a, an active decision point. And then he says, you know, seek spiritual empowerment because the gift of the Holy Spirit is for you. You're going to receive the, the outpouring of spiritual power that you've seen on us today. And then implicitly, he kind of says a fourth thing. He says, this, what's going on, all that you see is for you and your children and all who are far off whom the Lord will call. In other words, he's implicitly telling people, you have to spread it. You have to gather other people in. You've got to change your thinking. You've got to make up your mind. Are you in this thing or not? And then you've got to get supernatural power because you've got to go out there and change the world. It's a nice little well-packaged sermon. And then there's a little tag. It says that Peter continued to plead with them with many words, it says, because, you know, preachers do go on and on. He pleaded with many words, and he said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And the King James says, save yourselves from this untoward generation, uh, which is a word that we don't use anymore. Uh, the Greek uh, is something like scolio, uh, which is where we get the word scoliosis. You know, the corrupt, literally translated, means twisted or bent. Save yourself from this twistedness. Straighten things out, man. Straighten out your mind. Straighten out your thinking. Be clear. That's literally what Peter is saying to the crowd. Save yourself from twistedness and commit to God. And then they went to work. Then they began to live it out and to invent church for the first time. And from the end of chapter 2, I will read that part. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." They had no idea what church was supposed to be like. They had no idea what Christian fellowship was supposed to be. But they had to figure out how to live the life some way. And this is what they landed on during these chaotic and uncertain times. They devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to one another, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And they were just fantastically generous to the world around them. They sold what they had. They owned everything in common, and they just started giving stuff away so that even in that time in which there were loads and loads of impoverished people that said that no one in their midst had any need, they shared to the point of supernatural generosity. And as a result, revival happened. It said the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They lived the life, and it worked. They read the signs. They pursued harvest. And it was incredibly fruitful for them. I always uh, have thought when I read 
this story, which is sort of the genesis of the church right here in Acts chapter 2, I always thought that, man, they did everything on the fly. They improvised the church right here on the spot. And it was good. They figured out what was essential to preach the message of Christ, to seek supernatural empowerment, to be incredibly generous, and to make everything that they did about the mission, devoting themselves daily to teaching and prayer and fellowship and sharing. Uh, they got on it. And whenever Christians have done that through the ages, the result has been the same. I mean, you know, revival. Great numbers saved from twistedness. People plucked from the grip of fear and settled into the place of faith. You know, they knew the truth. They'd seen how Jesus lived. But when the people asked, what must we do? The disciples had to, well, they had to figure out the method. Um, they would not have had a pat answer. But this is what they came up with. Radical living. And then there's the story of the rest of the book of Acts. That's chapter 2, but it goes on uh, for couple dozen chapters after that uh, and the story develops in such a way as we see the Christians particularly the Christian leaders constantly try to keep up with the Holy Spirit God was always doing something more and doing something differently than they imagined and we get to see the early Christian confronted with uncertainties and questions they had never thought of previously they were like, what? You mean we don't get to just stay headquartered in Jerusalem? No, the persecutions prevented that. You mean we're not going to just meet in synagogues? We don't get to be just part of the Jewish temple? No, you have to expand out. You have to cross cultures. You have to figure out a different way of doing things. You mean we have to let foreigners in? That was a huge controversy in the book of Acts, but they had to figure it out on the fly, and we get to see how the Holy Spirit helps them through that. You mean we're still going to have all these disagreements going forward? Oh yeah, Christian leaders have had disagreements from the very beginning. It turns out people didn't always agree, but as each tried to stay obedient to what they thought the Lord was telling them, somehow it worked out. You mean that Jesus isn't coming back right away? Yeah, it turns out that he's not coming back right away. The first generation Christians thought that he would, but it's been, oh, long about 2,000 years now, and we're still in this phase of human history. You mean we still have to deal with famines and stuff like that? In the book of Acts, you get to see the early Christians deal with more or less global calamities like famines. And they just figured it out on the fly by being, <clears throat> by being true to the essential things that they settled on in the first instance. They knew the basic story they rarely understood the full story. They rarely understood all that was happening around them in the moment. But by listening to the Spirit, they found a path that saved them. And eventually that path would save countless people around the world. The story of the book of Acts and the whole story of the early church is about Christians letting go of almost everything they had understood about their lives, but not letting go to the few things of God that are essential. Knowing, of course, that in the midst of it, God would never let go of them.
Thank you so much for joining with us in worship today. We are so grateful to have an awesome community of faith that stays regardless of the circumstance because church isn't a place, it's a people. If you've got a prayer request, remember, please email julie at bluewatermission.org and someone will be happy to pray for you today between 10.30 and 11 a.m. Also, if you'd like to start following Jesus, or maybe it's time for you to come back to faith, please reach out to us. We would be so thrilled to be part of that process. Okay, gang, we look forward to seeing you soon. Take care and have an awesome rest of your day.